Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, everyone. What is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct, you guys. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah, and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday and then every Thursday on YouTube as well. Now, today, as you can tell by the title of the episode, we are talking about the infuriating case of Rebecca Zhao. This is a twisted and bizarre case that I've wanted to cover for a really long time to hear what you guys have to say about it. So with that being said, let's jump right on into it today. Now, Rebecca Zhao was born on March 15th, 1979 in Chin State, which was located in northwestern Burma, which is a country that is close to Thailand. She was born there to both of her parents and had multiple siblings, some older, some younger, and she was said to have lived a fairly normal childhood. She was very happy. She was very energetic. She was very bubbly. In 2001, Rebecca ended up moving to the United States and her family followed shortly after. And while her family lived in Missouri, Rebecca actually moved to Arizona. She ended up moving to Phoenix, Arizona more specifically, and while she was there, she ended up meeting a nursing student named Neil Nalepa, and the two of them ended up getting married. So they got married in 2002 when Rebecca was 23 years old, and Neil at the time was actually 36. So there was quite an age gap there, but it didn't seem to bother Rebecca at all. And Neil was from Scottsdale, Arizona. So she moved to Scottsdale to be with him there, and the marriage lasted about nine years before they officially got divorced in 2011. However, they were separated prior to that, but we will get into that in a little bit. Now, while she was still married to Neil, this was actually three years before they ever even officially got divorced, Rebecca ended up meeting a man named Jonah Shacknai. Now, Jonah was the CEO of a pharmaceutical company, and he is incredibly, incredibly successful. He was very wealthy and very well-known in the pharmaceutical world. World. He was well known for selling this cosmetic filler that is similar to Botox kind of, but not really, and it really worked out well for him, and most of his success was based off of that. And when he met Rebecca, he had already been married twice prior, so he had two ex-wives and three children in total from these marriages. He had two with his first wife and one with his second ex-wife, and his youngest child was a six-year-old boy named Max. Now, when Rebecca met Jonah, it was very easy to be enthralled by his lifestyle. He had a boat. He had multiple nice houses. He was living a very luxurious life, and that was really attractive to Rebecca. So, she really ended up falling for him quickly, but it wasn't just solely the material things for Rebecca. Rebecca really liked Jonah's heart and who he is as a person. That is what she really was drawn to, and she was also really drawn to his children 
children, which was something that Jonah really liked about Rebecca because Rebecca really took on the role of being a stepmother when it came to his children. She loved being around them and she in particular was very close with Max. She had a very, very good relationship with Max, almost to the point where Max's mother, who's a woman named Dina, so Dina was Jonah's second ex-wife, Dina definitely had a little bit of an issue with how close Rebecca and Max were getting. According to Jonah, Dina definitely didn't make it easy for Rebecca to be around or to see her son. She really wasn't a huge fan of Rebecca jumping into that role, which to each their own, honestly, um, that's definitely a difficult situation for anyone to be in. So I'm not here to judge how anyone decides to navigate that. However, from what Jonah says, he's stated that Rebecca and Max had a very loving relationship. They had a lot of fun together. Max loved being around Rebecca. So that's really all we know from that. Now, pretty quickly, Rebecca and Jonah hit it off. And at the time that they had met, Rebecca was working as an ophthalmic technician, which is basically a medical professional who works alongside an ophthalmologist, which is an eye doctor. So the two of them were able to bond over both being in the medical field very quickly. And that was something that they both were able to talk about and had experience in. But not too long after she met Jonah, Rebecca actually ended up quitting her job to kind of be able to travel with Jonah when he travels to have more of a flexible schedule. So she ended up quitting her job. And you may be wondering, where is Neil in all of this? Well, even though the two of them weren't technically divorced until 2011, the two of them were separated at this point. So it wasn't like Rebecca was hiding this like secret life away from Neil. The two of them were separated. Now, at the time, Jonah had a summer house that he visited quite frequently, and this summer house was located in Coronado, California. Now, Coronado is located in San Diego. It's basically an island right off of San Diego. There's a bridge that connects the island to San Diego, and it's a very large touristy spot. It's beautiful. I'm from San Diego. I've been there multiple times, so I can tell you it is a very, very beautiful place to live and to have a house there, and it's a very affluent town as well. And Rebecca and Jonah would stay at Jonah's summer house quite frequently. Jonah had a boat at one of the docks in San Diego and they didn't really take it out quite frequently, but he did have a boat there. And Rebecca and Jonah would spend a lot of time going back and forth between Arizona in Coronado. So that was kind of how they navigated that. Now, this all brings us to July 11th of 2011. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. 
Now, at the time, Jonah, Rebecca, as well as Rebecca's younger sister named Zena, and Max, Jonah's six-year-old son, were all staying at the house in Coronado. However, at this particular time, on this particular day, Jonah was not at the house. So it was Rebecca, Zena, and Max that were all playing at this house. And this house was beautiful. It was a mansion. It had multiple different parts to it. You had a guest house. It was two stories. And something that Max liked to do quite frequently is on the second story in the hallway that would lead you to the stairs. I'm going to try to explain this as best as I can. So on the second story, there was a banister. There was a banister that led to the staircase. In this hallway where the banister was is what connected the second story bedrooms, if that makes sense. So you had bedrooms on one side, the banister with the hallway, and then bedrooms on the other side as well. Now, something that Max liked to do frequently was play up and down this hallway. He liked to ride his scooter up and down the hallway. He liked to play soccer up and down the hallway. And he never had a problem with it until July 11th. Now, at the time Rebecca was going to the bathroom, she heard a very loud banging sound coming from the entryway of the house. And when she went out there, she found Max face down on the floor, unresponsive, after what appeared to be him falling from the banister of the second floor all the way down to the first floor. Now, like I said, when Rebecca found Max, he was unresponsive and he wasn't breathing. And Rebecca's younger sister was the one who called 911 to get an ambulance over to the house. And once the ambulance took Max to the hospital, they found that he suffered injuries in his spinal cord and facial bones, which in turn affected his heart rate and his breathing. So he at this point was still unresponsive. He was basically in a coma at this point, and everyone was just kind of holding out hope that he would wake up and he would get better. However, unfortunately, five days later on July 16th, Max ended up succumbing to his injuries and passing away. Now, obviously, any death is extremely tragic. However, the death of a six-year-old boy, especially when it's a freak accident like this, was heartbreaking. Now, while Max was in the hospital, his parents, Dina and Jonah, were there basically by his side throughout the entirety of his time there. And also, some of their family members flew in as well. Everyone was just trying to show as much support as they possibly could. Now, when Max's accident happened, many people started questioning how it would be possible for this to happen, period. A lot of people were very skeptical of the story that he just so happened to catapult over the railing of the second story and fall to his death. It just didn't make sense for a lot of people considering he had played in that hallway multiple times and this had never happened before. The whole thing was just very bizarre. Again, it was a freak accident. It was said that on the way down when Max fell, he actually hung on or tried to grab on to the chandelier that was hanging above in the front entryway because that came down with him as well. However, he had no cuts on his hand. He had no bruises on his hand that would indicate that he grabbed onto it in any way. And a lot of people were just very suspicious on how this could happen, especially Max's mother, Dina. And Dina ended up going ahead and hiring a private 
private firm because she just wanted answers and she didn't believe that this was some freak accident. She did believe that foul play was involved and that Rebecca was responsible for her son's death. Now, the private firm actually ended up concluding that Max's death was a result of foul play. So because of that, it obviously amplified the theory that something more sinister could have happened to Max. However, when police got there and started taking pictures and everything like that of the scene of where Max fell, they noticed that Max's scooter, and this is why they believe that Max was riding his scooter up and down the hallway, they were able to note that Max's scooter, the bottom of it, had paint chips in it. And the paint chips and the white paint marks that were on the bottom of his scooter perfectly matched the missing paint from the railing. So the theory is that Max's scooter hit the railing and then he flew over it that way. And that would make sense considering the paint chips and the paint marks on the scooter. So we know now that Max did unfortunately pass away. However, during the time that he was in the hospital, the day after the accident occurred on July 12th, Rebecca's sister had left to go back to Missouri. And while Rebecca was dropping her off, she also was picking up Jonah's brother from the airport. His name is Adam Shacknai. Now, Adam flew in from Memphis, Tennessee. And on the night of the 12th, Jonah, Rebecca, and Adam all got together and had dinner together with another friend of theirs. And then afterwards, Jonah went back to the hospital to be with Max as well as be with Dina, who was also at the hospital. So Dina and Jonah were at the hospital. And then Rebecca and Adam stayed at Jonah's house that night together. They were the only ones in the house that we know of that night. Now, Adam was staying in the guest house of the home, which was detached from the regular house, and it was in the back of the house. And while he was staying there, Rebecca was staying in the main house as she normally did. Now, according to Adam, he said that he took a sleeping pill and fell asleep at around 8 o'clock p.m. on the night of the 12th. So now we move on into the morning of the 13th. And Adam said that when he woke up, he woke up at about 6.45 a.m. and walked out of the guest house into a horrific scene. Now, when Adam walked out of the guest house, he was walking in to the backyard because again, the guest house was in the back of the house. Now on the second story and in basically direct view of the guest house was the room that Rebecca was staying in. So when Adam walked out of the guest house, he saw Rebecca hanging off the balcony of her bedroom. Adam found Rebecca hanging by a red rope from the second story balcony of the main house. Her body was hanging outside and Rebecca was found with her hands and ankles bound. Her hands were tied behind her back and she was also gagged with a blue long sleeve shirt that was wrapped three times around her neck and then the sleeves were shoved into her mouth. Rebecca was also not wearing any clothes when her body was discovered. Now, when Adam found Rebecca, he said that he ran into the kitchen, grabbed a knife, ran back out, stood on a table, and got Rebecca's body down. And then after he got her body down, he ended up just basically laying her in the grass when he called 911. Now, I will say the 911 call that Adam made was very bizarre. He gets on the phone, and after seeing such a horrific sight, such as that, what he had just walked into, you would think he would be very frantic, like, oh my God, I can't believe I just saw this. Not even just being Rebecca. I think if anyone saw any person in that state, you would be 
startled and freaked out. But Adam had a very kind of nonchalant manner on the phone and he didn't even address Rebecca by her name. He just said that there is a woman hanging. He said there is a woman who hung herself and it's at the same house where they came to pick up the boy yesterday. So he was very vague about all of it. And even the 911 operator was saying that she didn't know what he was talking about. Like, she didn't know what boy he was referring to that they had picked up yesterday. And his voice was very monotone throughout the whole thing. It was just a bizarre phone call considering the circumstance, honestly. Now, when the authorities got to Jonah's house, they got there, they assessed the crime scene, and they also saw Rebecca. Now, something that everyone who I've seen talk about this case and everyone who has commented on this case, everyone has a very big problem with the fact that, and understandably so, by the way, everyone has a very big problem with the fact that, first of all, Adam did not cover Rebecca's body after he took her down and laid her on the grass. He didn't cover her with a sheet. There was nothing. He basically just laid her out, which in one sense, it's like, okay, you don't want to contaminate the crime scene. I get it. However, once police showed up, they didn't even cover Rebecca's body. And typically, when authorities do show up to a crime scene and there is a deceased body, they cover it regardless. And Rebecca wasn't wearing any clothes and they just left her there and laid her there and her body was there for 12 hours by the time the medical examiner showed up and even then she was still uncovered so from 6 45 a.m to 6 45 p.m her body was laying in the grass completely uncovered she was wearing no clothes and it just seemed like a very inhumane thing to do to someone. You don't even have the courtesy of covering her body, whether that was Adam or the police. Someone should have done that. Now, after an autopsy was completed, and get ready for this, after an autopsy was completed, it came back that the cause of death for Rebecca was hanging. However, the manner of death was suicide. Suicide. We will get to all of that in one moment, but they estimated that her time of death was around 3 a.m. on July 13th, and they said it was a suicide. The woman who was found with her hands bound behind her back, her ankles tied, a shirt wrapped around her three times and gagged, somehow managed to do all of that while also wrapping a rope around her neck and jumping over the balcony. Now, when we look at the crime scene, which basically was Rebecca's bedroom at that point, there were multiple things to note that police found. The first was the red rope. Now, the rope that was found wrapped around Rebecca's neck was also found tied to the leg of her bed. It was the left leg, the left bottom leg of her bed that red rope was also tied to. Along with that, they found a small trash bag, a paintbrush, a a large kitchen knife as well as a small kitchen knife. And underneath the small trash bag, there was a container of black paint. Now, the black paint was used to write something on the wall. And this is where things get like really creepy. It's very horror movie-esque because with the black paint, there was a quote written on Rebecca's door. And the quote was, she saved him. Can you save her. Now, to this day, there's really been no final explanation as to what this quote means or where it's from or anything like that. A lot of people have different theories about it, but no one's really been able to narrow in on what exactly that meant. But again, it was just very eerie and off-putting. Now, I want to talk about the knots that were used to tie Rebecca's hands together because there were two specific knots used. The first was called a slip knot, and the second is called a cleat 
hitch knot. Now, the reason that this is so important is because this wasn't your typical knot that your average person would tie. For example, if I were to tie a knot, I would just tie it kind of like how I tie my shoes. But there are multiple different knots out there that take a specific type of person to know. And a lot of times it can narrow down suspects because if a certain person uses a type of knot and they work in a certain industry where that knot is used quite frequently, that could kind of match up. So the two knots that were used, like I said, were the slip knot and the cleat hitch knot. Now, the reason that this is important is because the cleat hitch knot is used a lot of times in boating. And that's not to say that no one can tie this knot. However, again, it's mainly used in boating and sailing. And weirdly enough, Adam, Jonah's brother, worked on a boat. He was actually a tugboat pilot for about 10 years. And because of that, he is definitely someone that would know how to tie that type of knot. And that also goes into the whole suicide thing. You really think that Rebecca is going to tie a cleat hitch knot with her hands behind her back? That makes no sense. Why would you do that? Now, as far as DNA, this crime scene, Rebecca's bedroom, was completely clean. There was no DNA found other than Rebecca's in that bedroom. Now, like I said, police claimed that this was a suicide. However, shortly after, a next-door neighbor of Jonah's actually came forward and told police that on the night of Rebecca's death, she heard a woman screaming, basically bloody murder. She said that she heard tons and tons of screaming coming from Jonah's house, and it sounded like a woman screaming for help. And what's crazy here is instead of taking this seriously and taking what this neighbor was saying into consideration, police basically told her that she was wrong. Police basically told her that she did not hear screaming coming from Jonah's house and she probably heard it coming from a different direction. Now you can imagine how infuriating that would be, not only for Rebecca's family to hear that someone did hear screaming coming from that house, which would indicate that Rebecca Rebecca more than likely did not do this to herself, but also for this neighbor who's probably like, no, this, I know what I heard. This is exactly what I heard. I'm telling you what I heard and you're just not taking it into consideration whatsoever. Now, at this point, Rebecca's case was whirling all throughout the media and it was around this time that a high profile attorney from Seattle named Anne Bremner came forward and said that she had heard about Rebecca's case and she wanted to help Rebecca's family because she also thought that the suicide ruling was bizarre as did most people. The only people that didn't think that this was bizarre were the San Diego Police Department and probably Adam. So because of this, Anne actually took on Rebecca's case for free. She did it pro bono, which was amazing. And she brought in a high profile medical examiner to do a second autopsy on Rebecca. Now, while the medical examiner did agree that the neck injuries that were on Rebecca could be consistent with that in a hanging, he also said that hanging is not the only thing that could have happened here. He said the injuries were also consistent with that of strangulation. So that was what they found on an injuries standpoint. And in terms of just this scene in general, Anne, as well as the medical examiner, both stated that it is very unlikely, yet not impossible, but very unlikely that some 
someone would commit suicide without wearing any clothes. So that was just something little that they had picked up on from their experience. And they also found small hemorrhages on Rebecca's head, which indicated that she got hit in the head with an object multiple times. Now, another aspect of this case that doesn't necessarily implicate anyone or anything. However, something that was just weird in this is that authorities took everyone's cell phones. They took Adam's and Rebecca's and Jonah's and everyone's. So they took everyone's cell phone and what they found in Adam's was just very coincidental considering the circumstance. Now, in Adam's phone, they had found that he had searched in his browser sexy Asian girls as well as bondage anime. And he did this the night before Rebecca was found dead. And you can like what you like. This is not, that has nothing to do with it. It's just very coincidental to see that that is what he was searching and then to see the way that Rebecca's body was found. And what's even crazier is that when police found this, when police found this on Adam's phone and had to go and basically explain it to the public, they said that Adam's phone must have been used by someone else who made those searches. Why they would say that is beyond me. Why they are covering up for him so well is totally beyond me. And what's funny about this, not funny in a ha-ha way, but funny in an ironic way, is Adam came forward and he said, no, I did look that up the day before. Those were my searches. I did search those things. So even though police were there saying, oh no, it must have been someone else, Adam said, no, that was me. Now let's talk about what they found on Rebecca's phone. So on the night prior, on the 12th, they found that Rebecca had been talking to her sister, her older sister. She had been texting her on and off throughout the night. And then at 10.48 p.m. on the night of the 12th, Rebecca got a text from Nina. Now Nina is Dina's sister. So Dina and Nina, I know, kind of confusing, but Dina and Nina are sisters. They're twin sisters. And Nina was actually in town to kind of be there to support Dina throughout Max's accident and being there in the hospital and everything. And Rebecca was actually the one that picked Nina up from the airport. And according to Nina, when she got in the car with Rebecca, she was trying to talk to her about what exactly happened, trying to get more information out of Rebecca. And Rebecca was not really giving too much information to Nina, which Nina thought was very odd. She said that Rebecca really didn't have a lot of answers to the questions that Nina was asking. But at 10.48 p.m., Rebecca got a text from Nina and Nina had asked Rebecca if she could come over to Jonah's house because Nina wanted to talk to Rebecca about the accident and she had a couple more questions about it. Now, it showed on Rebecca's phone that she actually never responded to these texts. So she never responded to Nina, but Rebecca did have activity on her phone when she checked her voicemail at about 12.50 a.m., so a little bit close to 1 a.m., basically, to listen to a message. However, they never confirmed who the message was from. So a lot of people based off of that have kind of questioned if Nina had some involvement based off of that text asking if she could come over. What if she just decided to show up? What if even though Rebecca never responded, she wanted revenge and she wanted answers and she went over to see Rebecca. A lot of people have thought that. And Rebecca's family thought it as well because they actually filed a $10 million civil lawsuit against Adam 
Nina, and Max's mother, Dina, basically saying that Dina, Nina, and Adam had all kind of conspired together to get revenge on Rebecca by basically murdering her for what happened to Max because they did not believe that it was an accident. Now, where Dina and Nina were saved in this were because they both had solid alibis. They were both at the hospital that night, and it showed on surveillance footage. So, the thought that maybe Nina went over there kind of went out the window because she she was seen on surveillance footage at the hospital. However, does that mean that maybe she wasn't texting with Adam? No, that's, that doesn't mean that. It just means that she was not there. Now, the civil lawsuit trial began in 2018. Now, the difference between a civil trial and a criminal trial is that in a criminal trial, the jury has to unanimously agree that the defendant is guilty beyond reasonable doubt. Now, the reason that this is different and the reason that this was a civil case was because the San Diego Police Department was not willing to reopen Rebecca's case after claiming it to be a suicide. They closed the case and were not willing to look at it again. And the prosecutor in this case actually played it really smart. They brought in a life-size mannequin that basically looked like Rebecca and they basically recreated the crime scene and said to the jury, do you think this is possible for this to be a suicide? They had her hands tied behind her back, her ankles tied, she was gagged, she was bound, all of it. And it was very clear to the jury once seeing that that there was no way that this was possibly a suicide. Because if you think about it, why would Rebecca put herself through more suffering if she was going to murder herself? Why would she go to the extent of tying her ankles together? Why would she go to the extent of tying her wrists together behind her back? Why would she gag herself? Why would she wrap a shirt around her neck three times and then wrap a rope around her neck? How do you even get off of a balcony with all of that? Because if you were going to go off of a balcony, you would think you would just use your hands to lift up and then kind of go off. But if your hands are behind your back, your ankles are tied together, you can barely see and you're gagged, how are you going to be able to jump off of a balcony? Now, here is what the prosecution believed happened. They believe that Rebecca took a shower that night and that after her shower, Adam confronted her about Max, which is what they believe the motive was. They believe that the motive was Adam was trying to get revenge on Rebecca because he did not believe that Max's death was an accident. What prosecution then believes is that Rebecca ended up on the first story of the house on the opposite side. And the reason that they know this and the reason that they think this is because there was a dropped towel as well as Rebecca's cell phone downstairs, which is to them indicating that she was downstairs after she took a shower and her phone was there as well. It's them believed that she was struck by Adam in the back with an object and then Adam hit her in the head four times with an object as well until she was unconscious. And then it is believed that Adam bound and gagged her. After that, prosecution believes that Adam sexually assaulted her and then strangled her before hanging her body to make it look like a suicide. Now, based off of all of the information that they were given, the jury actually came to the conclusion and determined that Adam was responsible for the death of Rebecca Zhao, and he was set to give the family over $5 million, and Rebecca's family said it really wasn't about the money. It was more so for the San Diego Police Department to see that this was not a suicide and hopefully reopen Rebecca's case, and they ended up actually reopening the case. However, 
they still said that it was a suicide. Now, when it comes to Max and if there was foul play or if there wasn't, there really is no motive for Rebecca to have intentionally tried to murder Max. It just, I can't think of one motive. No video, no comment that I have seen has ever said what the motive would be for Rebecca to go ahead and murder the guy that she's dating's son, who they were said to have this amazing, loving relationship. Rebecca loved being in the role of kind of like a bonus mom and a stepmother and she had no kids of her own so she really loved Jonah's there's no motive as to why she would have done that to Max everything about this is just very unfortunate because if foul play was involved in Max's death it's been completely overshadowed by the fact that everyone's trying to prove that Rebecca's death was not a suicide um I have not seen one person in all of the research that I have done who believes that Rebecca's death was a suicide, why the San Diego Police Department were so adamant on being on Adam's side in all of this is never really been discovered. No one can really figure out why they were so pro-Adam because Adam, unlike his brother, really didn't have a lot of money. It was Jonah who was the moneymaker. He was a self-made billionaire. Adam really didn't have much money. He lived a very average lifestyle. He was a very normal guy up until this. Now, it's possible that Jonah could have been the reason that they were being so lenient on Adam. However, we just, we don't know. So that is the case of Rebecca Zhao, and I cannot wait to hear what you guys have to say about it. With that being said, you guys, that is all from me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. Again, if you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah, and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here every Wednesday on the podcast and every Thursday on YouTube, and you're not going to want to miss it. I will be back next week with a brand new case for you guys. And until then, stay safe. Bye guys.